Hey everyone, welcome back to The Haunted Corner. I'm Ashton, and it's good to be back. It's been a while. Thanks to everyone who reached out to check on me. I was super sick, super, super sick. I lost my voice, and it turns out as a podcaster, that's that's a pretty important thing to have. So I had to take some time. Don't ignore that check engine light, guys, in your car or in your body, because otherwise you will have to take a whole weekend where you just lay on the couch and watch football and don't move. So that was me this last weekend. And I'm back. I'm finally feeling good, feeling better. My voice sounds somewhat back to normal. So here we are. Before we get into the episode, if you have a spooky story, an encounter with the paranormal, a connection to true crime, anything that you want to share with me, I'm starting a new series on the podcast called Listener Corner. I'll read your stories on the show, so send it over to me, and you can send it to me via email at thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or social media. You can send it through the website at thehauntedcorner.com, however you would like to send it over. Some of you have sent it through social media, and that's amazing. Just send me what you've got. Let me know if you want want me to use your name or keep it anonymous, and I'll read it here. Today, I have a spooky location to tell you about. Today, we're discussing the Harvard Exit Theater. It's located in Seattle, and it's got a really cool history, along with some rumored hauntings. So let's get into it. The Harvard Exit Theater wasn't always a theater. The building was constructed in 1925 and initially housed the Women's Century Club. The Women's Century Club had a membership of about 350 women at the time of the building's opening, and the club was known for their social activism and cultural events. The group was founded in 1891 by 10 women, one of whom was Carrie Chapman Catt, a suffragist who later founded the League of Women Voters. The club paid the salary of the city's first librarian, fought to raise the age of consent from 12 to 18, and helped pass the law against public spitting. In addition, they sponsored visits to the city by Susan B. Anthony and Amelia Earhart. So how do I get into this club? Sign me up. Bertha Landis, who was elected mayor of Seattle in 1926, served as president of the Women's Century Club from 1918 to 1920. The building hosted both club and community events until the 1960s. The property was sold in 1968, but under a few conditions. One of them being that the lobby could not be altered in any way, and the other being that the club could continue holding their meetings in the parlor. This was ultimately agreed upon, and the club still meets there at midday on the third Friday of every month. In 1968, after the property was sold, it was converted into a small theater house by Jim Austin and Art Bernstein. Their plan was to choose films for quality, not box office appeal. They hung vintage movie posters in the alley, set up a table in the lobby with free tea and snacks, lit a fire in the fireplace, and welcomed the movie-loving crowds. On May 21, 1969, a small ad ran in the Seattle Times announcing the opening of Seattle's newest and most unique movie theater. The first film to be shown was Billy Liar, 
and from the time of its opening, the Harvard Exit Theater was a buzzing location. Adults were charged $2 for a ticket, while students were charged $1.50. Employees would have to store the plastic cup lids, straws, and movie flyers so that the members of the Women's Century Club could pretend to still live in the 1920s. The theater attracted movie lovers from all over, even hosting the annual Seattle International Film Festival and the Seattle Lesbian and Gay Film Festivals. The theater was known for its parlor-like lobby, complete with a fireplace and a grand piano. Aside from showing films, the theater also hosted community gatherings, first dates, and even weddings. People loved the theater. The owners were encouraged to expand on many occasions, but they refused. They felt that if they did, the theater would lose that personal feeling that they cherished. In 1979, the Landmark Theater's chain took over operations of the theater. During this time, major renovations were conducted. The upper floor, which held a classroom occupied by the Cornish College of Arts, was transformed into a second theater, which was called the Top of the Exit. So there was the main auditorium on the second floor, and they added a new theater on the third floor. The newly renovated theater hosted many long-run films throughout its time, including Life is Beautiful, Run Lola Run, Slumdog Millionaire, and Brokeback Mountain. The theater continued to thrive. Crowds filled the seats. Film festivals were held at the theater and memories were made. But like many small theaters, the time came for the theater to close. And it did. In early 2015, the property was sold to a man named Scott Shapiro. He hoped to transform the building into office and restaurant space. And the Consulate of Mexico currently occupies part of the building. So let's get to the spooky stuff. While the theater was a bright, vibrant, bustling location, there seemed to be something strange lurking in the darkness. People were drawn to the building for more than just the movies. Many people visited the property just to see if it truly was haunted. One woman was so impacted by the theater's reported hauntings that she began digging in the walls of the basement, convinced that there had to be a skeleton in the walls. Employees, moviegoers, and other visitors to the building have shared their experiences at the Harvard Exit Theater, and the stories began in the early days of the theater operations. A woman, reportedly one of the members of the Women's Century Club, is one of the spirits who is said to occupy the property. The story goes that the woman hung herself in the upstairs parlor in the early days and now wanders the property. Reports of a woman dressed in turn-of-the-century attire lurking in the shadows popped up as early as the 1970s. The spirit of the woman is said to have been seen many times in the upstairs parlor, which is interesting because employees were known to avoid the upstairs parlor because of how it made them feel when they'd enter it or even walk by it. During that time, the manager was a woman named Janet Wainwright. She described her experiences with the paranormal while working at the theater. One morning, when she arrived at the theater, she found several things out of place and saw the apparition of a woman sitting in a chair by the fire before vanishing into thin air. Many mornings when she'd arrived to open the theater, she would find lights on and even a roaring fire in the fireplace, which was always put out at the end of the night. 
On one occasion, Janet arrived in the morning to find the chairs arranged in a semicircle around the fireplace. Absolutely not. Other employees also shared their spooky experiences in the Harvard exit. Some would report noises, the sound of a woman crying, strange bangs and taps in the walls. One of the employees who ran the projector recalled finding it running on many occasions when they would arrive for work in the morning. Someone in there trying to run the movie projector after hours. Some visitors reported encountering the spirit of a man who introduced himself as Peter. He's said to be friendly and likes to interact with visitors, manifesting with strange lights and noises that can't be explained. On one occasion, a man visited the theater and was taking pictures. He captured one photo of what he thought was an employee, and when he labeled the photo, he addressed it to a woman pictured standing near a window who wouldn't tell him her name. Employees all wore name tags, and they didn't know who this woman was, so who was she? With the new management team taking over in the 1980s, the spooky happenings continued. Shortly after manager Alan Blangy took over the theater, he started to experience what the theater was most well-known for, aside from the movies being shown there, of course. One night, as Alan and his assistant were closing down for the night, Alan heard a noise coming from the third floor theater. He went to check it out, and as he entered the room, he saw the fire escape door close. So he's thinking he just caught an intruder in the act, right? He walks over to the fire escape and attempts to shut it the remainder of the way. But as he grabs onto the door, he feels a jerk as if someone is pulling on it from the other side. So now he's in a bit of a tug of war with something or someone over this fire escape door. He called to his assistant who entered the room just as the door was closing again. The two men then pushed the door open, expecting to see the intruder fleeing, but no one was there, and they couldn't hear any sounds to indicate that someone was trying to escape down the fire escape. There was just nothing. Alan didn't like to be alone in the theater after that experience. He believed that it was possible that the spirit was haunted by Seattle's first and only mayor, Bertha Landis. Around the time that the paranormal events started to cease at the theater, a museum opened in downtown Seattle. The museum contained items that belonged to the mayor. And it's reported that during construction, some of the workers experienced some strange things. Tools and items on the site would go missing with no explanation. They'd hear strange sounds, again, with no explanation. Alan Blangy claimed that many of the earlier reports of paranormal activity could be dismissed as practical jokes played by employees, while others are fully convinced of the theater's hauntings. And I guess you never can be too sure. And that is the story of the Harvard Exit Theater. If you've ever been to the theater or you know the history and you want to share some more information with me, I'd love to hear about it. So send that over to me. And now I have something that maybe you weren't expecting. I have a little spooky tale to share with you about a theater. So 
when I was growing up, I performed a lot. I was a dancer. I danced for 13 years. I was a cheerleader, did all the stuff. But when I was younger, I also took some acting classes and I would perform in this children's theater in my hometown. So from the start, anytime I would enter the theater, I would just get a weird vibe. This happens to me all the time. All the time. So I figured it was maybe because it was old. I wasn't in tune with the feelings that I have then. So I didn't really know what to think of it. I just felt kind of weird. So yeah, the vibes were a little weird. They were about to get weirder. As we would rehearse, we noticed that copies of the script would always go missing. We had these paper copies of whatever play we were rehearsing for. Well, they would go missing and we'd find them in random places later on or they wouldn't appear till the next week. It would be, it would just kind of depend. Well, <laughs> during the production of the highly acclaimed Hieronymus A. Frog, we were rehearsing one day. I was backstage and I was waiting to go back on, on the stage. I was walking, watching from the wings of the stage, looking across the stage. And during these practices, it was just the kids There was, I think, 10 of us, something like that, who were acting, taking the classes. And then it was our teacher. So I was on one side of the stage and there were, of course, actors on the stage. And on the other side, in the other wing, there were two of the other performers and our teacher. And that was it. And over on that other side, you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't go If you tried to go to the right, you would go to the audience. There was a brick wall there. Well, I was looking at my teacher and I saw a large shadow step out from behind her and it it looked like a person. And then they kind of walked towards the wall, like where they would go out to the audience. But you couldn't there wasn't an exit over there. And so I thought, you know, maybe my maybe my eyes were playing trip tricks on me for sure. But every hair on the back of my neck stood up and that kind of solidified that vibe that I had for me in that building. <laughs> so and from there, like weird stuff continued to happen. I never saw anything again, but that was the the biggest time. It was pretty, pretty scary. So. And I guess you could say that's where my fascination in all things paranormal and spooky began. That was it. After that, it was kind of like, yep, I saw that. That was that. Was that. Now I got to know more about it. So became a little weirdo early on. And here I am, Phantom of the Opera style. That's where it started. If you have a story like that or any kind of story that you want to share with me, send it over. I'd love to read it on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm super glad to be back. Lots of fun stuff coming your way. Lots of new Patreon content. Another humor me this because we definitely need a lighthearted episode with all things going on in the world. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts with new episodes dropping every week. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to share your support and get access to all the cool Patreon content, head on over there, patreon.com forward slash The Haunted Corner. You get early and ad-free access to these episodes, plus the exclusive Patreon-only content. And if you subscribe at the $5 per month level, 
you get a sticker. So an exclusive The Haunted Corner sticker. Follow me on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Subscribe over on YouTube. Um, You get video episodes. And until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll see you soon. Bye.